This is the SSPX podcast produced by Angelus Press. This week, we're finishing our conversation with Father Patrick Summers, the District Superior of Asia for the Society of St. Pius X. If you didn't hear part one of our interview, you can go back and listen to that now at sspxpodcast.com or just look back one episode in your podcast feed. But we'll continue our conversation with asking Father about the generosity of our faithful. There must be something that one of the faithful or a group of the faithful have done uh, that have really uh, made you take a step back and look and say, okay, well, this is, uh, you know, you know that your work is worth it every day, but it really makes you take a step back and look. I was already, I was ready to tell you about my sacrifices, but okay. No, it's not always about you, father. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, um, no, let's see. Um, I was actually going to do several things. I mean, one was, um, as I said before, there are some countries we work in that are more politically difficult, and, and we don't actually publicize them at all. Uh, there's two or three that we're very careful about how we we don't put them in our official apostle newsletter, our magazine that comes out three or four times a year. Uh, we, we And if we do mention them, we don't mention the foreign priests working there. We remove pictures of them because obviously with the Internet nowadays – um, it just takes a few keystrokes and someone can find out all the stuff that we're trying to hide. Hmm. Uh, so, um, for example, one country I work in, take care of from, from our Singapore prior, we fly to this country. So this country, massive, um, you know, it has one of the largest populations in the world. And uh, the Catholic Church has, has always, for many centuries now, struggled and fought to get inside this country. It was it was always very difficult because of language and culture differences and and also the uh, different rulers over the years either tolerated Catholicism or outright persecuted and killed. Um, and now you can imagine the country being a communist country. Um, it is definitely anti-Catholic, definitely, uh, and even more so anti-foreign Catholic, as I say. Maybe the local Catholics in this country have a little bit they can do, but um, definitely they don't want any foreign, let's say, missionaries coming in. So we go to this. Unfortunately, you're only able to go to this this country once a month for a weekend. So we go on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday sort of thing, and we go to several several cities. But um, what I find very impressive is, you know, these Catholics in this country are they really are. I would say horribly isolated um, um, because the local Catholic church, if there is even one is very much under the control of communist government. And um, you know, the internet has a massive firewall on it. There's very little outside information you can get because it's blocked by the government. Um, All of the internal messaging and uh, communication is, is monitored by the government. Um, uh, let's see, uh, even you can't even publish a book or a pamphlet without the permission of the, of the central government. Um, and certainly you can't advertise, you know, it's just very, make it incredibly difficult. And yet we have faithful there who are, as you say, a bit like you mentioned with Archbishop of you arrive there and they just, they can't say anything, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's embarrassing really. Um, because they just, um, they're so they're hungry and they understand the situation very well. They're usually very well educated, very, very clear thinking. Um, and, and, and in this particular country, 
it, there is a one child limit of children by law, which two years ago or three years ago was raised to two children. They're allowed to have two children by law. Um, and then, uh, uh, so I say to them, I said, gosh, that's, that's incredibly difficult for a, a Catholic family. And they said, well, uh, you know, cause I said to them, wait a minute, you know, but I'm looking at the families and I said, but you have more than two and you know, you have three, you have four, what, what's going on here? You know, I, how does this even work? And they said, oh, father, the penalty, the fine, imagine this, imagine this, the fine, the penalty for having more than two children is the government takes your annual salary. Okay. What's your annual salary? Okay, they figure out whatever it is you're getting paid. Multiply that by three, and that's the penalty. <laughs> so can you, can you imagine? Okay, well, you know, it's not even like a set fine. So, like, let's say a really rich person can pay for it. No, no, it's it's whatever your annual salary is times three. That's the penalty. So I said, well, I said, no, no one could survive that. That would they would you'd be out in the streets starving. And they said, well. Actually, you know, it's a communist government. We um, we just keep the child unregistered. You know, we have the baby, but we don't tell, we don't register them at the local school right away, and we don't register them with the government, um, and therefore it's kind of like off the books. But every five years, there's a census. This is this is what they tell me. There's a census by the central government, and they're very keen. They're very interested in making sure they have an exact count. So they're willing to make deals then. And so they said um, they wait for the census and then the central government person, they're able to work out a certain under the table deal of a, a much, much smaller penalty. I still have to pay a penalty um, for having this third children or more than more than two. Um, I mean, the good news there is the um, the central government's now talking about removing that restriction altogether because they have a negative birth rate. Uh, most of the, the women are being killed uh, in abortion. Because, I mean, the baby girls are being killed because uh, they're not as valuable to these people. Um, and they have a real problem with an aging population and not enough new, new, new births. So hopefully in the next couple of years, they're going to remove that law. But you have faithful here who are taking incredible risk. Um, yeah. Their child is not a citizen. Their child does not have any kind of birth certificate or legal standing. And they're going to have to pay some kind of fine. Uh, and yet they're still they're still very um, very willing and open to to have the children that God sends to them. I was reading something um, about this this recently, Father, and there's this whole subsection of people in the country who have no they're like ghosts in their own country. Uh, they have no identity. They have no uh, sort of I identification in at all. Yeah, like what we yeah. would, you know, their version of what we have is a social security number. So they can't have that. Yeah. Yeah. So they can't have a driver's license. So they can't yep. have a job. Yep. So they turn into uh, essentially what are beggars. I mean, it would be horrible. We, we kind of take for granted the fact that we have our identity from the government and it seems so silly, but if you don't have it, so the decision for these parents is either you pay this huge fine that you may not be able to do or your child officially doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. 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 It's, it's shocking because uh, you know, obviously, when these people talk to me, they, they 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 always reference, of course, places like America, and they're like, they can't imagine. I mean, they, they ask these questions like, "Is it true in America you can publish a book without permission of the government?" I'm like, "Well, of course you can. Print whatever you want." Is it true that you can have children without asking? You know, without hiding that? You know, they just can't even imagine. You know, a world that is not so controlled. So. And yet, what I love to see is that they're, you know, they're taking a big risk. Um, 
and, and you know, normally we would we would would be very careful about the thing, but they 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 are they understand the the sacrifices much better than we do because they 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 live them. Um, so you know, I think that's a great encouragement for the priest when he has these long trips to these countries and and the people are actually you know when when they when they get their teeth into the faith. They don't let go. They don't let go, and it's it's very impressive. It's very impressive. So that's one very short, very short story um, on on what we see uh, with the faithful being ready to sacrifice, uh, even endanger their their lives, their livelihoods uh, for the sake of their children. It's it's wonderful to see. And we've been and uh, we've been talking about just this one country. Uh, but is that something that you see in other countries across the whole district, that generosity of spirit that you're um, seeing there? It, more, I think we're definitely finding that um, due to the ravages uh, and the, how should we say, the uh, deterioration of the faith through the, the consequences of the Vatican II Council and, and these types of things, there's definitely a uh, a lacking of generosity amongst your average Catholic across the across the countries that I see that um, you know they've they've been told uh, by bad priests or bad bishops that you know they should live with their children they should you know they they they've, there's something has gone wrong in the last fifty years because definitely um, we come across these cases quite often where um, they socially culturally. Even within their their previous parishes, they they were they have been limiting their children for sure, for sure. I mean, severely. Um, uh, so I think that's that's a big problem. That's definitely a big problem um, that we face out here. It's and yet there are many good cases where where faithful are are you know, they realize the uh, the generosity of spirit and the cooperation with with, with God's creation and they they. they they're very. They make big sacrifices too. Um, I would say it's much harder in Asia to have a large family than it is in America. As just as a general rule, much harder. Lack of space, higher cost of living, difficulty to have land or your own. You know, it's it's a lot harder in many ways. One country, Father, that we didn't talk about last time we talked, uh, and we haven't really brought it up much yet this time. And, and I and I bring it up for a, a couple of reasons. There was recently another traditional Catholic publication. Uh, that traveled and did an interview with you recently. Oh yeah, yeah. And then I also saw a picture online on on Facebook. One of the faithful posted a picture of uh, Father Peter Fortin saying oh, yeah. mass, and yeah. he was my next door neighbor actually growing up. <laughs> and he was saying <laughs> mass. Right. I, I right. believe in Tokyo in this picture. I, I, I could be mistaken, but Japan. Uh, could you talk a little bit about Japan and and the work that the SSPX is doing sure. there? Okay, that's a good question. Um, and actually very appropriate in time because. We have been given the go-ahead by, by our superiors in Menzing and Father Padovani and others um, to open a priory in Tokyo in next summer. Oh, it's wonderful. So, um, so yeah, I mean, really what's amazing is uh, our priest, especially one priest in particular, Father Onoda, a Japanese priest, has been going to Tokyo, Osaka, and Korea from Manila or even us here from, from Singapore uh, for over 20, 25 years. Um, and usually once a month, maybe sometimes twice a month. Um, and there's a dedicated, I mean, anyone will tell you who's been to Japan, the Japanese are a very special race. They are unlike others. Um, fantastic, uh, uh fantastic to, to, to learn more about them. Um, 
they really are unusual uh, in good ways. Uh, um, so uh, yes, our so we have as I said two mass centers, main main mass centers there. Um, we also make a yearly pilgrimage to Akita up in the north. Um, that's that's a whole other that'd be another interesting story because of the connection of Sister um, what's her name, Sister Agnes, the the one who who had the the apparitions of Our Lady and with a statue cried uh, tears and. She received the stigmata and she received miraculous cures. Very interesting, and how she was treated by uh, in the Novosordo. Um is fascinating. That's a whole other question. But um, Japan. So, um, as I said, we, we hope to we plan to put two priests in Tokyo in August. One of them is Japanese. The other one is not Japanese, but he is currently studying Japanese, um, and. Um, they would take care of Seoul, so, you know, South Korea, Seoul, and they would take care of Tokyo and uh, Osaka. Um, the faithful there are, again, as I said, the Japanese are, they are unique. They're such a respectful, uh, honorable race in, in many ways, not in every way, of course. They're still pagans, unfortunately. They're still pagans, and Catholicism in Japan is uh, less than 1%. I think it's half of 1% of the population is Catholic. Um, and so it, there are incredible challenges on that level. Um, but our, our priests look at it on the opposite. It was, <laughs> you can only go up from here. You can only, you know, you can only improve because um, there's so many souls there that are, uh, that are just blind and in, in darkness of, of, of paganism and, uh, uh, there's so much to give with our, uh, with the faith. Uh, it's 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 the infinite amount of work. So I would say um, it, it's a very exciting new venture, but at the same time, one that's going to take a lot of time and and um, I would say zeal, a lot of zeal there because um, it's it's a whole new world over there. That as I said, the Japanese are not necessarily like the rest of the Asian. Uh, I mean, no, no Asian country is the same, but um, the Japanese are definitely different, you know, definitely different from, from others in, in, in a very good way. We'll return to our conversation with Father Summers in just a minute. But if you're enjoying this episode of the SSPX podcast and would like to help Angelus Press bring more of these interviews and stories to more people, please consider a small monthly gift of 5 or $10. We're just a few people short of our new goal for this week. Out of the thousands of people who download each episode, only about a dozen are regular supporters. So... We're asking if you would be one of them. Please visit sspxpodcast.com for more information on this donation. And yes, as we approach tax season, it is fully tax deductible. With that little announcement out of the way, we'll go back to Father. Yes, yeah, so I just pulled up the website for the Holy Cross Seminary, which is the seminary in Australia. And that serves, if I'm not mistaken, that serves most of the District of Asia. Uh, almost all the people that come to Holy Cross Seminary are from Asia. I think there's some from, from the continent of Africa as well. Uh, but I'm looking at some of the numbers here. So yeah, looking at the numbers here, there's, um, I mean, there, there's there's more than this at, at the seminary currently. There's 24 members there, but five from South Korea, four from the Philippines, uh, two from China, and one from India. And that that's just got to be encouraging for you, Father, to to see that some vocations are starting to come in and, and bearing some fruit from the work that you're doing already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah. I mean, again, we, we know there's a, just like in America, there's there's always a a rate of of uh, of young men who enter who what is you know a certain rate of okay this guy doesn't have vocation or he decides it in a vocation 
that happens in every seminary. So yeah, although we had, I think, is it 12 or even 13, and we're sending another one or two soon because remember their year starts in uh, January, February. Um, uh, you know, we're sending a few more, but um, we, we know that we, we may only get half of those ordained uh, if they have vocations, great. Um, but yeah, no, no, it's, 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 it is a very pleasant, um, that's the, the good work of our priests and, and faithful and good families. Um, there's a lot of potential there. And, um, I would say, uh, that's one of the things that, I mean, each district does this, but our district definitely, we're trying to promote more and more to these young ladies, these young men, listen, you know, there's nothing better you're going to do with your life than this. This is, this is, this is the highest thing you could ever do. And the most rewarding, uh, the most challenging, um, and you know, absolutely, marriage is a sacrament. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, um, and we need, re- we really need good marriages and good families. Um, but uh, maybe you ought to think about uh, the need of the common good, the need of the souls at large, the need of other families who need good nuns, good brothers, good priests to, to take care of their souls because, you know, that's a very particular uh, duty and necessity, especially in these times. So, yeah, we're trying to promote and push as much uh, young men and young ladies to just think about it and even if necessary, try it out um, if they have the, the good background for it, let's say. So. Absolutely. Well, you, you said you wanted to tell a story, uh, oh, and, and Father, I, I've been well, waiting with, with, with yeah, bated breath, so my, <laughs> what's the story? My, <laughs> it's not my story, unfortunately. Um, but so, you, know, you mentioned earlier, how does a priest, besides a natural, sorry, besides supernatural motives of, of, of his priesthood or of, of his mission, of his work, of his ordination, you know, the priest, we, we have to regularly read the history of the countries we're in. Um, uh, and again, even the countries we're not in, just to get an idea of how did the missionaries, I think this is very important for us, how did the missionaries do their work 200 years ago, 100 years ago? What were the challenges that they faced and how did they handle them? Or what mistakes did they make? And that's something we often don't read about is, you know, the missionaries, just like the Society of Isaac Death, we have made prudential or strategic mistakes sometimes. And that's just, that's just part of human nature. That's part of our history uh you know but the jesuits did make mistakes the franciscans made mistakes the benedict you know everybody has uh and i think that's a certain consolation and and the more you know of okay oh gosh they tried this strategy they tried this process and it didn't work or they went in you know guns blazing into this country and they got immediately in trouble and they got kicked out and or you know there's fascinating uh there's too much really but i'm gonna i'm gonna read you a little selection or i should say like a little summary of one particular episode that happened in the um just recently maybe a hundred years ago in uh kind of the north of, of of china with some franciscan missionaries from europe um and i mean by franciscans i mean a small order uh not the franciscans but a particular convent of uh, franciscan sisters that was only established uh, 1860s or something. Um, and I'm reading from, a, I'm summarizing from a very good book I'd recommend to uh, anybody who wants to know more uh, by Dr. Anthony Clark, uh, uh, a, a great Catholic man who um, who's a bit of an expert on 
uh, he is maybe the expert on China that, that I that I know. Um, and he wrote a book called just simply called China Saints. Um, so people want to look that up. It's it's a wonderful book. But I'll just give you a little summary of of you know when you when you sometimes when you're traveling, um, we travel a lot, so you get a lot of time to read books or listen to conferences. Um, this particular thing struck or maybe me. listen to the SSPX podcast, right, ah, Father? Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, yes, of course. That that was my <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> okay, so I recommend people to read it. It's, it's very interesting. It's almost uh, too much to read because it's it's one of those books that's going to take you some months to read through because there's a lot in it. So you know, we we need sometimes to 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 read these things and 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 learn from them, but also. As you say, there's a great edification involved in seeing what these people gave up 100 years ago, uh, these missionaries. It's, it's fantastic. So these, I'll give you a little, I'll read a little bit from the book, but I'll really just give you a, as much of a summary as I can. So this particular congregation, very small, the Franciscan Missionaries of Mary. Okay, so the Franciscan, but they're a little bit different from your normal Franciscans. In fact, it was a French nun. Um you know, in the 19th century, who was a missionary herself. She, she worked in another order. She was in another religious congregation in India, you know, in the 1800s. Okay. But this is interesting. This is where we learn. There was a, a big fight within her order, um, her previous order, all this dissension and infighting and problems, you know, politics, who knows what it was. She just left her order because it was such a, a nightmare. And this is, you know, 1860s, you know, it was 1860s, and she, she just is like, I'm done with this. So she goes um, back to Europe from India, and um, she thinks that she should found her own order, that she should, you know, she should do something um, different. And so she gets permission uh, to found another order, um, and even the Pope gives her permission to found a new institute, which is, has for its goal foreign missions and the devotion of the blessed Eucharist. So it's kind of a, an unusual combination, but it makes sense. But she, her order of nuns will be dedicated to uh, the blessed uh, sacrament and to foreign missions. Um, so she gets permission. She goes through the normal process of, I should say, proving, uh, and finally she gets her final approval. Um, you know, Pope Leo XIII gives, approves the order completely. They're, they're a new young congregation, and um, they begin their training uh, for these things. Um, and, of course, not long after, one of the bishop, missionary bishops in China, you know, he's looking for help, obviously, aren't we all? And he, he goes to, to Europe and he says, oh, here's a new missionary order. And they're dedicated to the missions. Great. We will take them. So he, this bishop approaches the, the mother superior um, and says, listen, you need to send your, all your nuns need to come to China. Um, but before you come to China, I want, this is so, it's very human, but very, uh, very prudent. He says, before you come to, to, before you send your nuns to us, I want you to, I want them to be trained, you know, not trained in the spiritual life, not trained in uh, catechism. He says, I want them to be trained. They need to know how to, to make bread, how to bake bread. They need to know how to be uh, expert at the needle, needlework. They need to be expert in embroidery. They need to be know how to do photography. They need to know how to do painting. They should know how to do flower arrangements. Uh, they should also know basic surgery, basic nursing skills. 
Um, and then you can send them out. <laughs> um, but at the same time, this bishop, of course, he wants nuns to help with the, with the apostolic work. And, and he says, and everything is wonderful in China. We're completely free. This is you know, around the year 1900. And we're completely free to practice our religion. Everything is wonderful. <laughs> and the, the nun is thinking, she, she mentions in her letter that, I don't know if that's accurate. But, you know, Maybe he's being too optimistic. She's very charitable. She says, I think he's being too optimistic because she had just read uh, other letters from, from China where um, other um, other missionaries have been martyred just recently. You know, they're, they're down, The boxers uh, had already been killing uh, foreign missionaries. You know, so she's thinking, I think this bishop's a little bit, uh, how should I say, it's, uh, he's way too optimistic. So, uh, but she decides, you know, um, our patron is uh, St. Pasco Balon, uh, who'll be this patron, and, he, and, and, and we must be missionaries. And, and you know what? We're probably going to die out there, but that's okay. It's, it's, she says, it would be a good challenge for us. <laughs> so the bishop, the bishop says, send all 12 of your nuns. Uh, they're already there. And she says, uh, okay. So she tries to send them. Um, there are certain problems of not one of them's too sick to go. In fact, at the end, only eight nuns get sent out to, to China. You got to imagine. I mean, what we complain about now are flights. Uh, we have a lot of flights around the district because everything's quite spread out. These nuns, they get on a boat from, I think it's Marseille, uh, South France, and they go one month almost on a boat. And, and it says every single nun was seasick for the whole trip. Can you imagine a month of just being sick? And so they finally get to Hong Kong and then to China and to Shanghai. Then they got another three weeks of travel overland to get to their uh, place where the, the mission is at. I mean, you can't even imagine how much they traveled. So they finally arrive at this this town where they're needed, where they and, and they're met by um, six Franciscan priests who have been waiting and waiting for them to come, and two hundred orphans already waiting. Um, for them, and they're all just you know lining the streets when they come in, and um, the 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 mother the mother of, of this new community the mother writes, um, I cannot describe to you how warm they welcomed um, the welcome they gave us. Women and children would not be satisfied until they had touched our hands, they touched our habits, they touched our feet, and they were so surprised at how long our feet were. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it's just cause you know, it's, it's, they'd only ever seen Franciscan priests before. They'd never seen European women before. So they were just, they just wanted to touch and see what is this? Um, and of course they had all these orphans. Um, so, you know, they would wake up at five o'clock each morning and have mass, um, at the orphanage and then they would have their daily adoration and then they would have all the work with the old old and sick people, the orphans, all through the day. I mean, they worked long hours. They worked you know, incredibly long days. And then they have all the, the problems of the politics around them. There's a huge drought in the area, so there's no rice, there's no food. People are starving. Even the nuns are starving. Uh, they spend many more hours than normal in prayer in, in front of the Blessed Sacrament because of this, this drought and uh, the hunger. Um, you know, says that they gave up all their, their each nun would volunteer to give up recreation time just to go to the um, to the chapel to pray for for rain. And all the local Chinese were seeing this, and then also coming. And she, she said they they would just live in the chapel. Some of these people and just kneel for hours on end praying uh, after they saw the nuns doing that. Um, so 
as you can imagine, at some point, uh, the uh, the government starts doing more persecution of the foreign missionaries, and there's reports of you know messengers coming and saying, "Hey, that Catholic village was burned. That Catholic church was burned. Everybody was killed." So the bishop says, "All right, listen, nuns, we need to get you out of here. We need to move you somewhere safe. Uh, we're going to find a place for you to go." And the mother superior says, "No, no, no, don't, don't you dare try to move us." Um, we're going to stay and die with you. Don't, don't you, don't you even think about it. <laughs> uh, and if anybody's ever dealt with nuns, they know that, you know, when the nun puts her foot down, it's down, it's down, <laughs> especially on a case like this, where she's like, no, no, how dare you think of moving us? Um, first of all, we have all these orphans. Number one, there are children. Secondly, we're going to be martyrs. Why in the world would you want to move us? That's insane. Um, you know, what, what, a, what a great devotion they have. And there's one particular nun that, you know, there's, there's seven or eight nuns here, but one of them, you know, kind of struck a chord because it's, uh, some of them were from France and other places. One in particular was from Holland, which is, uh, right not far from where my mother was born in Brabant, uh, Brabant area. And she was very interesting because she, it's just amazing to see how Grace works. She's from a family of, uh, six children. Um, and her mother died, um, after all six were born, her mother died from some sickness and the father as well, I think. And so they're just orphans. They have six children in, in a very poor village in Holland and the neighbors kind of helped raise the children. Um, you know, she worked all these different jobs to try to help, uh, feed the rest of her brothers and sisters. And then at the age of 27, I mean, 27 is quite old. Uh, in the sense that, you know, she's been working like crazy for probably 20 years, uh, trying to take care of her siblings. And she says, you know what? I think I should be a nun. I think I've always been called. Her. So, uh, she enters these, this small new order, Franciscan missionaries of Mary. Um, and you know, she says, uh, well, she says, I'm not good for much, but I know how to work. And so her job was always to do like the, the background work, you know, the washing the dishes, taking care of the laundry, doing all the things that have to get done, but nobody else wants to do it. But she keeps telling the other nuns, please, can we go and be martyrs somewhere? That would be a great, great uh, gift. So finally, she does get sent. Um, she does get sent to China. Um, and this is class. This is so classic, something that, you know, you don't usually read about. She arrives in China with all these other nuns. And the entire time she's there, she has severe dysentery um, for the, the rest of her life. She has a, it's not a very long life. Um, she had acute dysentery um, and yet never missed the office, never missed her prayer time, never missed any of the work that she was given until she was, until she was killed. I mean, you can imagine, I mean, what, what an incredible heroic, uh, uh, heroic uh, soul this would be to, to handle that kind of thing. So I'll, I'll move along to the very end. Um, so, of course, they, they hear different reports coming in from messengers and travelers that there's more and more persecution in the area. Um, and finally, they, they, they hear that the, the army, uh, the soldiers are close. So they, they gather, the priest and the brothers gather the faithful and the nuns. They begin their prayer in the church. They sing the divine office. They say mass. They try to hear as many confessions as they can, um, and then they get they get arrested. Of course, um, they bring the, the the Franciscan priests and uh, to to be martyred. Um, 
uh, it's, these priests are quite old and you know they just they, they torture them they beat them uh, they, I, I won't go into graphic details but they bring the nuns right in there in their front row to watch all this hoping the nuns will uh, will, will, will will be scared or will, will give up the faith um, of course they don't um, so they kill the, the priests um, then uh, they get on to the the nuns um, this is classic. I mean, what, 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 what courage of heart. Um, so although, as I said, they were spectators, these Franciscan missionaries and Mary, they're spectators for the, for the priest execution. Um, and they, they didn't, um, they didn't, they didn't give in. So now they bring the nuns forward. They, the nuns all kneel down. Um, they begin to, they lift their eyes to heaven, praying, uh, for all those around them, praying for the conversion of those who are killing them. And then the nuns all give each other one hug. They begin singing the Te Deum, and then they lift up the veils, you know, their Franciscan veils, which covers their head. They lift it up just enough so their neck is exposed <laughs> to make it easier for the executioner, who, of course, swings his sword or his axe, and, and it goes their head. But I just, I love that last detail. It's like, well, this, this veil might get in your way a little bit, so here you go. <laughs> I, I'm sure the executioner had no idea what was going on. He was like, I've never seen this before. Usually people are screaming or crying or these nuns are singing a beautiful hymn. And then they're opening up their, their necks so that it's very easy to get to. I mean, can you imagine? See, you know, you read that stuff. That happened in the year 1900. That wasn't that long ago. Um, and... I think it, it really helps the priest, but it also helps the faithful put in perspective uh, what the faith is. It's not it's not uh, random arguments on the internet, uh, political discussions about this faith, that faith. It's listen, it's it's the faith, and I think that's a, it's it's a great encouragement to not just the priest, which of course it is, but I think also to the faithful when they see this kind of heroism it just stirred it, it boils your blood i think in a good sense so that was my that was my quick summary i don't want to take too much of your time no 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 it, it was good father that was great I, in the background while you were talking i, I was looking up uh, some more information about them and uh, found, found a website dedicated to them and and there's a painting it shows it shows yeah. all of them yeah. and yeah. it shows yeah. all of their their names uh, and it shows their ages you know, it lists uh, you know, 24, 25, you know, 36 years old. You know, these were these were women yeah, who, yeah, yeah. Uh, on a very temporal level, had their whole lives ahead of them. And, and someone who doesn't understand the faith, doesn't understand a vocation, would, would look at them and say, you have your whole life ahead of you. Uh, you know, what are you doing? But uh, this is this is just yeah. inspiring. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, they, they knew, they, they very much knew that it's very likely that by the time they make this two-month journey to get to the new location – uh, they might not be there very long. You know, can you imagine they had to learn the language as well, um, which is learning Chinese is not easy. I can tell you. Right. Right. Uh, so, so I think it's, it's, it's even more impressive when you're going to go to, I mean, imagine uh, even for us priests, if, if, if you say to a priest, I'm going to send you to this new priory, but you probably won't be there very long. Well, it's, it's really, dis it's really discouraging. I think I'm going to go somewhere, but I'm only going to, I'm going to dig into the work, but I'm not going to be there long. That's very hard psychologically, um, but I think I think these these nuns, uh, their faith was such so impressive. 
that it, it, it makes us feel a little ashamed uh, that we're not doing more, that we don't do more. Let's say. Yeah, and at the same time, Father, this it's got to be uh, you know inspiring or a consolation to you. These are patrons that you can look up to. Yep, absolutely, 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 absolutely. And, and I mentioned the one with because this book on is called China Saints, but there are other. Um, each country has sort of similar or even even more of the same similar type of, of heroic men and women, faithful uh, priests, uh, nuns, brothers, fantastic stuff. We talked about this a little bit last time, Father, um, just to kind of wrap up here, uh, ways that people can help this apostolate. Um, we always kind of end with a way that, uh, that mm, us here yeah. in the U.S. or in the Western world can help. Um, you know, money, you mentioned this last time, money goes a yeah, lot further yeah, uh, oftentimes yeah. uh, in some of these places. You, I think you mentioned that building a church for $100,000, that was possible to do. That that couldn't be done here in the United States. So uh, let's end with a sales pitch, Father. <laughs> the floor is yours. And uh, uh, let, let us know what you, what you need or, or what is it that uh, is the most urgent okay. right now for Good you. question. Good question. I would say there's several, there's several projects that are we're in the planning and, and fundraising stages for. I'd say the first one is, we're trying to actually build a proper school in uh, South India. Um, we've been renting a premises for a premises for uh, ten years or more. The school, in fact, the school started when I was in India. Um, has never had its own home, and this again comes into the legal question. If we could actually establish a proper school, legally certified in every way, it would be much it would make our work there much much easier, much better. Um, so that's one thing. We're raising money for uh, Veritas Academy in India. That's easy to find um, information on. And then secondly, we have um, several um, necessary projects of building an actual church in the Philippines in different in different either priories or mass centers where they're just using a uh, what we would call in America a shed like a large shed with just no walls, no, no security, just simply an open air shed with a tin, a metal roof. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's it. And so you're getting hundreds of faithful now in these crammed into these sheds. And we're, we're like, like we comes to a point where we need to, to put together a, a structure, a church of some sort. Um, and the faithful locally, they can help out as much as they can. But as you say, you know, one American dollar is 50 Filipino pesos. So it goes a lot longer, a lot further uh, when we have donations. We can actually build something, um, you know, that, that's more worthy of, of, of the sacrifice of the mass, etc. cetera. Um, so, yeah, I would say that we, I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm sure there's other things where we're always, we're always looking for donations to, to help our work continue. But, um, you know, we, we are always understanding that um, there are many projects in America. I tell my priests, listen, America's got some very big projects going on. Um, but we know that Americans have always been historically and even now very generous to, to our work here in Asia. And we thank them for that. We definitely pray for them. Um, and of course, they can just go to our website and, and see where it says donate, you know, either by PayPal or they can donate money through the U.S. District you know, Foreign Missions Trust, etc. So. And so we have the links to these donate pages on uh, the show notes. Okay. So if you click on your, okay. your podcast and you can see, uh, we'll have links there. Um, but you can donate directly to uh, the Asian District and go to sspx.asia. Scroll to the very bottom, click the donate button. 
uh, or you can donate through the U.S. District. Uh, if you have, um, if you want to go to sspx.gifts, click on Foreign Missions Trust, and then just put a note in in the checkout for Asia, or if you have a particular affinity, like you want it to go to India or something. That's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. If it's often helpful if they say, "I would like to help the school in Manila. I would like to help uh, build a church in the Philippines. I would like to help India. I would like to help the the school in India. I would like to help uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, if particular, especially in America, they have a lot of." We have a lot of different uh, ethnic backgrounds in America, so often that's always a, a good starting point. Is for say, you know what, my family originally came from the Philippines, or my family came from uh, you know that region or that area. I would like to help them out. You know, that's that's I think that's a very uh, wonderful patriotism to have. Um, help out your 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 roots. And if you want more information on the work that Father's heading up, uh, you can go to sspx.asia. Uh, you can click on publications and there you'll see a link uh, or a list of all the uh, issues of the Apostle magazine. Uh, that's the newsletter of the District of Asia. They have it in English and French and, and different languages. So uh, that is available there on, on their website too. All right. Well, Father, like always, it's just been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Uh, it's it's a monumental task <laughs> for any district superior, much, much sure. less uh, sure. the largest continent in the world. Okay. Uh, and thanks for not being discouraged uh, well, I'm sure you do get discouraged every now and then, but you don't seem to show it very much. So thanks. Oh, well, you know, I think if you don't have a sense of humor uh, right. about about your own frailty, then uh, you know, life would be very difficult. Anyhow, God bless you, Andrew. Thanks for all your good work. And uh, we'll be in contact again. Absolutely, Father. Well, thank you. And uh, God bless you, too. That wraps up our conversation with Father Summers. If you'd like more information on the work that Father Summers is doing along with the many other priests of the District of Asia, you can go to fsspx.asia. That's F as in Frank, fsspx.asia. There you can find newsletters, you can find pictures, news, photo galleries, videos, etc. of all the work that they are doing. Also the Rosa Mystica Mission. We didn't touch on that in this interview, but the Rosa Mystica Mission is coming up as well in the Philippines. That is important work and beautiful work of the Society of St. Pius X in Asia. Also, please remember to subscribe to the SSPX podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or Pocket Cast. You'll automatically get every single show downloaded to your phone as soon as it's released, or to your computer, or to your tablet. And if you're not able to donate to this podcast, or maybe you're donating to the District of Asia this time instead of the SSPX podcast, that's great. You can still help us, though, for free by leaving us a rating or leaving us a review, or both. This, more than anything else, is how more people are able to discover that the SSPX podcast exists. New episodes are coming up here in the next few weeks. We'll be talking with Father Rutledge about the new Immaculata Project in St. Mary's, Kansas. We'll be speaking with Mother Mary Joseph of the Franciscan Sisters of Christ the King about the Franciscan Sisters, why they're doing the work they're doing, and what is it that they are doing. We have an episode of Questions with Father with your questions that you've been sending in. But next week, we will be speaking with Father Paul Robinson about the upcoming Lenten season. That episode will be released one week from today. Every Wednesday, we re try to release a new episode. That episode will be released on Ash Wednesday, though. Until then, thank you for listening, and God bless you.